0: support this podcast go to positive sarcasm.com slash donate any amount is appreciated once again positive sarcasm.com slash donate thank you and enjoy the program hey everyone here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself this is robin the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder their goal investing in financial markets more affordable more intuitive and more fun no matter how much experience you have or don't have Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the wait list and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. And when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between 3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. I've got a little, a little poem that I'd like to read in honor of this occasion, if I may. It's to get you put off the boat. It's easy to grin when your ship comes in and you've got the stock market beat. The man worthwhile is the man who can smile when his shorts are too tight in the seat. <laughs> 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 okay, Pookie, <laughs> you're the honor. Jay here, positive to here from Spare Parts Studios. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Uh, you can find me on the, uh, links, uh, well, you can't find, can you find me on the links? I wish you could find me on the links. Oh, I wish I was, a, you know, uh, on the links, I was on the verge when I was, uh, a younger lad in my days, in my late twenties, I was actually working on becoming like a, like an amateur golfer, like a PGA amateur. I was getting pretty good. Uh, and then my life flipped upside. Then life turned around, flipped upside down. Um, so yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But uh, I don't know. Maybe someday I'll get back there. I'm a big fan of golf. Anyways, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on TikTok. You can find me on YouTube. YouTube, Positive Sarcasm, Positive Sarcasm Podcast. I almost uh, went off track there. This is definitely the – well, I've been looking at the articles I have for this week, and I am just all over the place as far as going off track. Hey, can't win them all. Not every week. It's, to me, it's not really a big news week. My idea of a big news week is I got big articles with extended topics that allow me to – reach into the far corners of my brain, and see what's going on. This one, it's kind of like, bleh, you know, just kind of like, meatloaf again, fuck. But you can find me on social media, you can find me on YouTube, and you can find me nice and comfy in the spare parts studio, recorded here, all by myself, and my dog, who has decided to take up occupancy in the guest chair. So anyways, you can hit me up in... Uh, through my website you can contact me directly there through uh, at Puzzles, 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 outlookcom if you want to just reach directly you want to get right to the crux of the matter but I wanted to get to the uh, articles for the day because uh, fuck it let's just quit wasting time and pretending like I know what I'm doing uh, okay so there was some hubbub this week I know that everybody's more focused on when you search for when I search for articles It's it's an, it's a constant update throughout each and every day constantly checking the updates and then curating it to see okay I don't care about that I don't care about that and then it's like a multitude of like, um, one place has a, an article about asteroids, and then another one has another article about asteroids. And it's like, okay, I don't need to see that much information. I want to see new articles. I don't want to read four different articles about the asteroid that's supposed to be coming by next Tuesday. I don't, I don't really care about that. To me, it's not, it's not a big deal. It, it, articles about asteroids, potentially hazardous ones that they call them. Look, if there was an asteroid coming that they knew about we'd know about it, okay? It would be entire shift in strategy about every, the, our entire way of life if that was the case. Uh, so they keep talking about, oh, there's an asteroid that's going to be going by on election day. There's an asteroid... And they all say they're potentially ha- hazardous. None of them are, are potentially hazardous. None. None whatsoever. There, there are some that are so small that we don't see them on radar until they clip a sidewalk in the middle of Russia. Uh, but... Besides that, the largest one that we know about, the most notice- notable occurrence of an asteroid uh, entering Earth's atmosphere and causing all kinds of damage, the ones that we actually know about that were publicized, that were on social media, that were on YouTube, was the one in, in Russia about five to seven years ago, I think it was. It was entering Earth's atmosphere, and as it was burning up, it created so much light, uh, as it was in entering Earth's atmosphere, that it blew it, the, the explosion. First of all, the light was blinding, absolutely blinding, and it blew windows out all over the city. It was in there was there was some news coverage of it, but but because it was in Russia, they're not gonna you know let us go to the site and investigate the matter of the material. It's basically like okay, it landed in Russia, then that's about it. We don't get any more information about it. But it what besides that. It really wasn't a big deal, but it was definitely noticeable. It was just like a giant firework, and it definitely caused some some significant damage. But the damage was really nothing more than inconvenient, really nothing more than inconvenient. Maybe a few bumper to bumper accidents and some blown out windows, but besides that, we really don't have anything else to worry about at this point. There are there's one called Apophis. Apophis was has just been ruled out as an actual threat. I think I talked about this on the podcast a long time ago. Apophis was what everybody was worried about. This is going to get me to my next article about alien life on on Venus, which, well, who gives a shit? But Apophis was the one asteroid that everybody was curious about. It was this giant, it was a planet killer. It was a planet killer, or a uh, what they call, it would create something like an extinction level event. This one was, let's see, how big is Apophis? Let's go find out. Um, a It's A-P-O-P-H, Apophis, size. Okay. Apophis is uh, Asteroid 99942. It's the diameter of 370 meters. And it was a period of concern in December 2004. So 370 uh, meters is is 1,100 feet wide. So three and a half football fields. If that hit, it would be... That would be catastrophic, absolutely catastrophic. But um, here's the thing. It's designed to fly. It's going to fly by Earth, or it already did fly by Earth. The idea is it was going to loop around. Now, it was going to loop around in such a way where they were concerned that because a lot of these things, they enter the solar, they enter our solar system, they pass by, and then some of them catch an orbit or they catch a gravitational field, and then they loop around and they go by again. What they were concerned... And then we can rule out, due to mathematics, whether or not it's how far it's going to be, if it does loop around, where it's going to pass by, if it does again, or what body it's going to hit. They were concerned that there was a small percentage that it was going to hit something called a a keyhole. A keyhole, basically, is if it it went by at a certain distance at a certain time, then what would happen would, in 2029... it would be in a position to be awfully close to uh, entering our atmosphere. Now, it's one thing if it was uh, the size of a Volkswagen Bug or the size of a house. But it's another thing if it's the size of three football fields. That's different because what happens is when it enters Earth's atmosphere, the vast majority of it doesn't burn up. And then you've got a significant problem. That's essentially a, a planet killer. Uh, it would take centuries. It would take absolutely it would take complete centuries to uh, establish any new life on earth above the ground. But the idea that uh, and we would have five to seven years to actually figure out a plan of how to get people underground, we would have no chance of getting that thing out of the fucking sky. None. We wouldn't have any prayer of redirecting it. Uh, we have no technology like that, none whatsoever. But if it hits that, key- yeah. If it hits that keyhole, if it were to hit that keyhole, then what ha- would happen is it would swing through our orbit, and then it would go around essentially other orbits, whether it be the moon or other planets or the sun's or- orbit. And then as we come, and then as we swing around on our own orbit, we we would basically link up, and it would enter into our gravitational field and smash us wherever it was going to smash us. Now, that's that's awfully frightening because it wouldn't take... There are some things that we are concerned about. One is a giant earthquake. The giant earthquake of concern is the one along the line of the San Andreas Fault, which goes through California. California has already its own problems anyways because it's essentially burning to the ground because they don't clear brush fire. There's a massive drought. They have the Santa Ana winds. They have massive pollution, and it's just a giant wreck of a state. And they also have some of the largest uh, national forests, too. Uh, I actually visited one uh, about a year and a half ago at this point. And, yeah, if that thing caught wind, if that thing caught a little bit of a fire, it would be devastating. And they have to clear these forests out of all dead brush and dry leaves in order for these things to, if there were to be a fire, it would slow down or be more containable. But they're not doing that, and that's causing these already basically out of control fires to just spread even worse spread even faster because a dried leaf burns up so quickly well if, if you're not clearing the brush or you don't have the, the budget to clear the brush then it's an absolute nightmare and that's cal- pretty much ca- california california looks like a scene from blade runner now that's another issue is obviously california already burning to the ground just maybe maybe it's a good thing um, as far as The earthquake, well, that's waiting to be seen. That's another thing. Uh, The other issue besides the giant earthquake that would pretty much put California in the ocean, which would probably do us all a favor, is the giant volcano, (laughs) the giant caldera known as Yellowstone. Yellowstone is is basically a giant lava pit. It's a giant magma pit, and it's overdue to erupt. So basically you, and it's, the thing is, is you don't even see it. imagine just walking through Yellowstone and not realizing that you're on a giant bed of volcanic doom. And it basically is if that went up, what would happen is if it went up, it would it would ascend from the ground because you'd have a massive buildup of pressure. And when you have a massive buildup of pressure, the ground is going to change shape. I don't it would probably, I'm not sure how it would happen it would probably be to the point of where if the ground if it were to explode it would be one thing they have a plan too they have they have one option what they're trying to do is relieve pressure there's a, a, a been discussion about relieving volcanic pressure from yellowstone by basically it's like putting a potato in the oven you don't want it to explode so what you do is you poke holes in it well you essentially want to poke holes in a if you want to relieve the pressure like it's one thing like Say if Mount St. Helens, instead of having a pyroclastic explosion, you essentially just poked a hole in it. If you poked several holes in it, it would relieve the amount of volcanic pressure, uh, therefore making the explosion less powerful or basically preventing it from exploding. So, like, you have Kilauea, which is always... which is a very active volcano. Kilauea is in um, Hawaii, and that one erupts all the time causes a lot of damage too because it has a lot it's very active but if that thing were just sitting for 20 years 30 years 100 years and it wasn't erupting and then eventually build it build it up and built up in pressure and nobody poked a hole in it well if you weren't keeping the pressure low all the time keeping it constantly you know under close watch and maintained then it would basically just blow up hawaii what happened with Mount St. Helens is obviously the pressure built up to the point where they were watching the, they were keeping an eye on the seismic activity of Mount St. Helens. And they noticed that there was a serious uptick in the coming months of Mount St. Helens eruption. And then one day there was a, uh, a buildup inside Mount St. Helens. Like there, there was a, inside the actual cone, there was a buildup of rock and the rock was rising. Then one day there was a shake, there was an earthquake from all the activity. And then only captured on camera in a series of t- uh, in a time lapse where the entire one side of mount st helens's face essentially slid off so you had a massive landslide and what that did when it was landsliding relieved a massive amount of pressure all at once on one side of the mountain and it relieved all that pressure all that all that heat found an opening and once it found basically nothing bigger nothing Really, that big a deal? Just a slate of concrete. It just blew right through it. All that pressure just went right through that landslide, and basically blew the freaking earthquake, the uh, mountain. Excuse me, in half. Blew the fucking side of the thing off. And the the pyroclastic flow, the amount of power that was behind that, caused thunderstorm, instant thunderstorms in the atmosphere, and basically tore uh, that area to pieces and the cloud the the actual cloud was extended all the way to the other end of the united states massive amounts of damage well yellowstone is something far more unimaginably huge than mount st helens and if you were able to relieve some of the pressure from mount, from the yellowstone national park because there are there are calderas there's like little you know steam springs and whatnot if we were able to relieve the pressure from that We could prevent a potential. If that went up, if Yellowstone erupted, the amount of power generated would decimate all life on the surface. Anything. There would nothing that would survive. We would put us back into an ice age for God knows how long. Um, Actually, let me look up an article based on that because that's the one we're really looking at. Asteroids are one thing because they're constantly out there flying by all the time. And that's, that is a concern. But we have a lot of uh, satellites and images and all kinds of shit tracking that. Um, so as far as that goes, that's one thing that we're keeping an eye on. Because we're constantly looking at technology to combat that situation. Uh, the third, But there is so much information uh, going on about Yellowstone, what they're concerned about. Yellowstone's caldera. It's a volcanic caldera, a supervolcano is what they call it, in Yellowstone. Uh, sometimes referred to as the Yellowstone Supervolcano. Calderas in mo- the most of the park are located in the northwest corner of Wyoming. Okay. 30 f- so 34 by 40, 45 miles is the size of the caldera. So a 45-mile wide uh, caldera. Interesting. Uh, what else? 2020 is not the year. All right, cool. So here is the actual – all right, here is the actual uh, – article here on yellowstone it says 2020 is not the year this is from express.co.uk was swarmed by nearly 100 earthquakes in just 24 hours prompting fears of a major volcanic eruption and it's the last thing in needed in 2020 this was actually today this was published today uh an earthquake also an earthquake swarm on the large side struck the yellowstone national park on thursday Uh, According to the U.S. Geological Survey, a swarm hit—was this actually today or was this last year? Let me just double-check something. Yeah, this was just published. Uh, Between Heart Lake and the West Thumb Yellowstone volcano, most seismically active parts of the U.S., but amid the coronavirus pandemic, raging California wildfires, and widespread civil unrest, any sign of possible unrest at Yellowstone is unwelcome news. One Twitter user said, although I don't particularly doubt the science and, and the chance of triggering an eruption is basically inconceivable, 2020 is just not the year to be messing around with things like Yellowstone's magma chamber. <laughs> Another person said, at this rate, it's probably safe to assume that Yellowstone Volcano, a.k.a. the big one, will erupt in the next month or two. And a third person said, I almost have a blackout bingo on my 2020 card, but the only thing left is Yellowstone Super Volcano. Uh, let's see, the last, Yellowstone's last three big eruptions. Roughly, because obviously we weren't back then. We weren't there back then. 2.1 million, 1.3 million, and 640,000 years ago. An interval between 0.08, oh, excuse me, 0.8 and 0.66 million years between eruptions. Okay. Oh, they got a little thingy here. Let's see. Check this out. The most dangerous and active volcanoes in the world. Yellowstone, USA. Uh, what's that? Nova Rupta volcano that's in the US, Mount St. Helens which what it which is considered an active volcano now. It had a little it had a little hissy fit a few years back. Uh, Mount Rainier, Mount Vesuvius which is in Italy, Mount Merapi in Indonesia, that one's constantly active. Mount Agung in Indonesia, Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines, that one I believe is known to be active often. And Mount Fuji in Japan. Uh, the cycle has led to some falsely believing that Yellowstone erupts like clockwork and is overdue to another blast, and is an overdue another blast. This, of course, is not true, as the U.S. Geological Society, the USGS, has said one cannot present recurrent intervals based on only two values; it would be statistically meaningless. Well, that's that's good to know. But so, what exactly is going on at Yellowstone Caldera prompted the earthquake swarm? According to Michael Poland. Chief scientist of the Yellow, uh, Yellowstone Volcano Observatory, branch of the USGS. Earthquake systems are par for the course in Yellowstone. Uh, should we be worried about Yellowstone eruption? No, there's nothing we can do, and probably won't erupt soon. Yes, scientists should be working tirelessly to prevent an eruption. No, I don't. I don't understand. Okay, those are just questions. Of course, I'm concerned about that shit. We wouldn't be able to. We wouldn't. There's nothing we could do other than the like I just said, soothing the swelling, basically. Uh, this isn't a zit that you just can't pop, all right? got to freaking hit this thing with a washcloth and let it cool down a bit. The US, uh, U.S. Park experiences 1,500 to 2,000 earthquakes every single year, and roughly 50% of all seismic, seismic seismicity is accounted for by swarms. Okay. He said Yellowstone, Yellowstone has had swarms that many included many hundreds of earthquakes in a day. For example, there were a three. There was a three-month-long swarm that occurred in June to September of 2017, with 2,400 uh, located earthquakes and maximum magnitude of 4.4. Uh, f- a 4.4, you'd feel. The most recent swarm failed to even peak at magnitude three. Let's see, but even more happily, the Yellowstone magma system is solid. We don't know. We know from the past experience, just like this one. Okay. Ooh, that's a cool picture. That wouldn't be good at all. The strongest tremor in Swarm was recorded at magnitude 2.8, and the weakest was just 0.1. Interestingly, some of the 91 tremors were artificial, triggered by seismic vibrator truck passing through the National Park. Jerk! Seismic vibrators, or vibrosis trucks, are trucks or buggies designed to produce vibrations in the ground surface. The truck passed through Yellowstone's Old Faithful, West Thumb, Canyon Village, and Lake Butte as part of the University of Utah and University of New Mexico experience. So the earthquake swarm was not out of the ordinary, even if it was the best recorded earthquake swarm in Yellowstone ever. Dr. Poland said, So the 91 quakes were real quakes, and it happened to occur when there was a synthetic experiment happening, which is really cool because it means the natural swarms was seen by hundreds of temporary seismometers. The USGS also tweeted after the swarm, Happily, the volcano doesn't know what year it is. And even more happily, the Yellowstone magma chamber is mostly... Solid. So that's good news. I mean, for everything that's going on this year, that's the one thing we don't have to worry about. Uh, nearly 100 earthquakes. So I guess that was recent, but I guess nothing more to worry about. Uh, as far as the Yellowstone eruption rumors are back, yeah, but then there's just some fear. What if Yellowstone super Okay, well, what if... There's an actual real clear science. If What if the actual volcano erupted? This would be cool. Spouting geysers, blah blah blah, the unparalleled potential to destroy. Concealed be. De- 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 trek Masma magnet. Now, how big is it? 40 kilometers wide. So, four and a half times uh, attached to. De- 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 de. Come on, computer. Yellowstone supervolcano has leashed three cataclysmic eruptions, which we've already talked about. And I'm pretty sure my computer just fucking froze or did it. Or did it. Nope, we're good. Okay. The Yellowstone Supervolcano? Yeah, we already know about that. I'm just curious about... Let's see. Spewed 240 cubic miles of ash rock and pyroclastic material over roughly what is now the United States. The Lava Creek Ash Bed? Yeah, that takes up pretty much half the the U.S. Uh, Okay. Science writer Brian Walsh explored the subject in frightening detail in his recently published book, End Times... Uh, a brief guide to the end of the world. And he described Yellowstone National Park would literally be erased from the face of the continent. First would come a swarm of increasingly intense earthquakes. Okay. Intense earthquakes, not the, the minor ones that we got to uh, this week, a sign that magma was rushing towards the surface. The pressure would build up, would build until like champagne in a bottle, given a rigorous shake, the magma would burst through the ground in a titanic eruption that would discharge the toxic innards of the earth into the air. It would continue for days, burying Yellowstone in lava within within a 40-mile radius of the eruption. The devastation would not only be restricted to the local government, Yellowstone's phone of ash and volcanic gases would reach the height of 15 miles from this lofty position, be blown across North America, ash would darken the skies and blanket the ground from coast to coast. With up to three feet of ash fall in the northern Rockies and a few inches over much of the Midwest, citizens might be mildly amused at the first... At first, the black snow, but they'd soon realize the danger presents. Hospitals would be choked with victims coughing up blood at the silicate and the ash slashed at their lungs. Ooh, that's not good. The heavy ash would collapse roofs, contaminate water supplies, down power lines, prevent air travel, and perhaps even taking out electrical transformers, bringing the nation's power grid to its knees. Worse still, ashfall would likely wipe out the Midwest's crop of corn and soybeans. Should the eruption occur during the grow season... Much of America's rich farmland might also be poisoned for a generation, so 20 to 30 years. Combine this with a likely worldwide volcanic winter in which global average temperatures could plunge as much as 18 degrees Fahrenheit for a decade. And you have a recipe for global starvation event that could endanger hundreds of millions of people. So what it was saying is a worldwide winter. Global average temperatures would plunge 18 degrees on average as much as, or excuse me, as much as. Uh, so it would be a continental disaster. In it, every past catastrophe, hurricanes, earthquakes, and floods, most of the United States remained untouched, which meant safe parts could divert aid to take in refugees from the affected regions, but no corner of the continental U.S. would be exempt from the effects of a supervolcano. Uh, if you wanted to put a co- dollar cost to it, a FEMA estimate pegged the total damage of to the United States from the Yellowstone supervolcano at $3 trillion. So three trillion is basically that's uh, that's two coronavirus relief packages put together. You know, when you actually think about it, this is actually no big deal. I mean, we'd probably be eating Chinese food for a while, but uh, I think for the most part, we'd probably actually do okay. I mean, let's face it, none of us are going to the beach anytime soon. But I thought this was a fucking planet killer. Come on. What do you what do you mean? We're going to be fine. So the winters are a little colder. So what if it's 18 below in New Hampshire until like fucking May? I mean, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. I mean, steak prices will go up a little bit, but uh I think we could actually survive that. That's actually not too bad. I mean, that's actually not bad. I'm actually not even I don't even feel that bad now. I'm just I'm I'm rooting for it to blow up. Just get it out of the way. Um so that's actually not a big deal. So if Yellowstone erupted, yeah, it would be a global catastrophe and it would be completely uh it would probably change the, the way we do things here in the United States. It would basically reset everything. It would be a massive reset. Uh and a lot of lives would be lost, but it actually it's not a planet killer. It's not an end it's not an end times thing. It would fucking suck. But for, well, for me, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. If you lived in Montana, you'd probably be in deep shit. If you lived in California, well, what are you doing living in fucking California? Everybody's leaving there anyway, so what are you thinking? Uh, Mexico would go up in value, that's for sure. But for the most part, uh, it's not actually as crazy. It doesn't seem... There's discussion about NASA boring into Yellowstone's magma chambers and pumping in cold water to cool the system and quell the risk of an eruption. But this plan is wishful thinking at best. Still, the estimated cost of $3.5 billion seems a pittance to the exiden- existential threat that Yellowstone presents. It might just be worth it. So, discussions at NASA about boring into Yellowstone's magma chambers and pumping in cold water to cool the system. Ooh, I want to check this out. So, what it would do, but at that point, that's kind of scary because if you're going to pump water in there to cool it, you're going to put cold water against hot magma i'm assuming that's going to produce an awful lot of steam this sounds a little sketchy so attached to that is the discussion by sciencefocus.com how to stop a volcano uh holds an explosive secret yeah we already know about that so a giant bo- still lurks so a giant body of magma still lurks underneath the volcano so another mass eruption could happen sometime in the future. So we're trying to stop it. And that's what Brian Wilcox and a team of researchers of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, uh, ideas to drill into Yellowstone and let off some steam. Okay, I've been often asked, so NASA's given the idea a little more thought than come up with something that might actually work. This is geoengineering on a huge scale. The drawing pin becomes an eight kilometer deep borehole drilled into Yellowstone's hydrothermal system. This is the vast body of hot groundwater that surrounds the magma chamber and feeds the springs and geysers. The hydrothermal system absorbed more than two-thirds of the heat generated by the magma. In NASA's scheme, huge quantities of cold water could be pumped down the borehole, helping the hydrothermal system suck out even more heat, the idea being that this magma would cool, get stickier, and start to congeal. This, in turn, would mean that it would, was too viscous to rise towards the surface and feed an eruption. If Yellowstone were ready to blow, it would need to be cooled by 35% to stop the eruption in its tracks, and this wouldn't come cheap. NASA estimates the cost would be about $3.5 billion. It would take hundreds or even thousands of years to accomplish, which is a long time, which is a long time to keep the politicians who hold the purse strings on board. Wilcox acknowledges that this would not be easy and cautions against doing anything without detailed study of the pros and cons. Unless a thorough modeling effort had been conducted with the shows that the possibility of triggering an eruption was almost was low and almost zero. Because if you did put water in there, if you did open up a hole for magma to reach the surface, it's going to take advantage of it. Obviously, it's going to take advantage of it. So the good news is superheated water returned to the surface via the borehole could be used to drive turbines and generate energy for the reason, which would cover much of the cost. It appears it possible that economically competitive geothermal power could be produced as part of the defanging of a supervolcano. This would close the economic equation sufficiently that people might attempt it. There are dangers, of course, and there's possibly, possibility that drilling into a volcano that's primed and ready to go might trigger the blast if it's trying to prevent. But with catastrophic consequences for humans of a future supereruption, it may turn out to be a risk we have to take. That is interesting. So if it's sitting there and it's getting heated up for some reason, anytime that there's a a, a pocket of severe heat and it's rising, it's gonna ha- it has to escape. It has to escape somewhere. Heat normally rises, so the next thing you know, the pressure builds up. It's gonna. What happens is that the pressure builds up. It's going. The ground is going to bow, and every time it bows, it's gonna. It's going to slide over the top against the uh, away from the top of the bubble and the more it slides away from the bubble the more earthquakes you get and the next thing you know that bubble rises more rises and the next thing you know poof and then whatever that poof looks like you'll probably see it on the news it would be it would bury this i mean first of all the stock market would crash the stock market would crash global stock markets would crash there would be massive panic there would be looting there would be rioting. There would be so much unrest. I mean, look what a little tiny pandemic did about something that, ha- that you know, was built in a lab and all of a sudden is, uh, it has more, is you know, more aggressive cardiovascularly than the flu is. Look what that did. You know, trigger- triggered civil unrest, which just next thing you know, one thing got shown on YouTube and then it fucking shit show. But imagine this, knowing that this was about to happen. This would stop everything. If you think we'd be singing kumbaya, fuck that. We did that for maybe two weeks this year, and then everything fell apart. Imagine what a super volcano would do. So I'm more concerned. Obviously, I'm not concerned about nature. I'm concerned about people. Okay? People. All From all spectrums, from the religious side to the, the agnostic side. I'm concerned about everybody going in their own route and doing what and doing whatever they think is in their best interests. So I don't, no, I don't trust people. I think if this happened, I would be more scared of people than Yellowstone. Mm. So I guess that's it. I guess that's it. I was going to talk about other things, but I'm just going to get straight to the Q&A because I don't want to milk this any more than I do. And I was curious about, I had an interesting topic here. Uh, It has an interesting, this Q&A, the first one, has like an interesting twist to it. Uh, Don't get me wrong. It's weird. And it's uncomfortable to talk about, but I'm going to go right through it anyways. And it's just, it's just, it's just odd. Like it's it's a topic at first, like an at, at initial response is like, oh, you don't do that. And then it's like, after that, it's like, oh, what harm are they doing? But it's like, okay, so, well, let me just read through it. And then we're going to, then I'm going to talk about it. I think as a principle, it's not a good idea, but this is the gist of, should I, is this the first one? Yes, it's the, it's the first one. Okay. Should I marry my cousin? I'm recently divorced after a 19-year marriage, and to my great shock, I already find myself in love with another man. I didn't come out of the marriage looking for anyone, nor did I think I'd ever marry again, but this man, man wants to marry me, and I'm seriously considering it. Despite the societal taboo, it is legal in my state for first cousins to marry, and genetic issues with offspring aren't a concern. We're both sterile and have no ability or desire for more children. My siblings suspect and aren't pleased with the situation. His parents know and are happy for us. We bonded when he contacted me to offer support after he heard about my divorce, and it was love at second sight. Why second? Because we grew up together, literally next door, and he's my first cousin. Am I crazy to think I'm in love again this quickly? It doesn't feel too fast because we've always known each other and have been close. And... It's just that the form of love has changed. How do we break it into the rest of the family, the world? People can be so judgmental, even though in many parts of the world it is perfectly normal to marry your first cousin. Well, okay, the initial thing is, yeah, you can't breed with your first cousin. Just Let's just get that out of the way right now. I'm just going to deal with facts. You can't breed with first cousins. There's a reason for that. They have rules and laws in place and genetic, genetic testing in place for places like uh, – for Britain and other areas so that you don't f- happen to accidentally fall in love with a first cousin or somebody so close to you that when you have a child, they are missing opposable thumbs. You have these things for a reason. So, uh, and that there's another, it, there was an issue, a study so specifically with the Middle East, something to do with, uh, uh some like Islamic state stuff where they were marrying, Uh, they were forced to marry first cousins or people close in the family. And then you were having some issues with IQ. There was, there was some information about that that was brought up. And obviously if you have, if you are, if you're breeding with somebody who's genetically too close to you, there is issues with your, your child can become more aggressive. Your child can have cognitive issues and, there, it just leads to way more problems. So they had they, there was some discussion about that, uh, and they also, and, you know, monarchies do the same thing. Monarchies do the same thing. So there was then concern about this. You guys aren't breeding, which is good, but I'm trying to think of the other issues that would stem from being in a relationship, let alone marrying a first cousin. Do you really want to set that precedent? I understand, you know, I I get. That heart, the heart wants what the heart wants, but didn't... I think Woody Allen said the same thing when he ended up marrying his stepdaughter. So I'm extremely... I mean, you're obviously not looking for my blessing, but I'm extremely hesitant by saying, you go get him, girl. Uh, I have extreme doubts about this, and... Me, personally, if I was to be like... If you know, my first cousin was in love with me or whatever, or if I was to find out that I was dating my first cousin or something like that, I would probably put the brakes on the whole fucking thing. I would probably pump, pump the brakes on the whole thing. You can't... There's something genetically in there that's just like, yeah, this just doesn't work. Like, even if you were... I, I, there are, there are laws in certain states where, yeah, you can date and marry a first cousin, but there are also laws in these states, like, and you're not breeding. Well, just because you aren't breeding, like, for example, in some states, if you're not, you can't marry, like, your son, the son can't marry the mom, even though they're not breeding. But you still don't do it, maybe for societal reasons or whatnot. I would be extremely hesitant about being like, hey, congratulations, you two, cut the cake. So I don't know. Me personally, I don't. I don't. I'm not into it. I'm. I'm maybe not into it. Maybe you should pump the brakes. But I. I don't know. I don't have a conclusive sit, uh thing on this because I'm, I'm. But I'm guessing that there are other, other significant factors that I'm not measuring in my head right now that would say this is not something you should be doing. It definitely isn't. Obviously, he wasn't reaching out for support. He. Th- Okay, thinking as a guy, he's not reaching out for support. He's reaching out to get in your pants. That's it. That's what he's doing. So you take that for what it is, if you take it for love, that's great. I could tell you right now, he wasn't reaching out to support you. He was reaching out to get to you. He was reaching out to get with you. okay? Don't misconstrue that. You take that for what it is. And then the rest of that, I well, I, I leave it to you guys because that's a, that's a weirdy. That's a weird one. Maybe the second one will be so much easier. Uh, okay, am I a jerk for telling my pregnant wife she needs to stop rubbing her belly so much? Uh, for telling my wife that it makes me uncomfortable how much she rubs her pregnant belly. I'm not sure why it bothers me so much. The only thing I've really been able to come up with is that maybe subconsciously I find it aggravating since it seems like the way seems like a way to draw excessive amounts of attention to herself. I have always thought about make it making me uncomfortable because it feels like the pregnancy is dominating our lives in ways I don't think it should. It seems like all she wants to talk about is the baby, even though she we still exist as individuals, and the baby isn't even here. Either way, it bothers me all the same, especially since at this stage in her pregnancy, she does it all the time. She does it around me and friends and family, which I do think is weird, even though none of them have complained. I get that it's about bonding, but I have asked her to maybe not do it so much around me because it makes me uncomfortable. I got told I was controlling and unsupportive, but those are pretty outrageous claims considering how much support I have given her. Never once have I complained about anything until now, so what she said was extremely hurtful. She doesn't even see me that much during the week, so I don't understand how I'm controlling. Do my feelings and actions make me the asshole? Well, okay, look. Guys rub bellies when we have indigestion or bloating. So imagine if you have indigestion and bloating for six to eight months in the shape of a fucking kid. So, I mean, I would be rubbing my belly too. I would be rubbing it all the time. And I think they there's probably a lot of things they do. They grab their back because their back hurts. They rub their belly because I'm sure there's a lot of pain and uncomfortability and having to pee all the fucking time. I'm sure there's a ton of reasons why they're rubbing their bellies so much. Obviously, women are attention whores, but that's besides the point. The fact is, is this woman that you have uh, pledged your vows to is pregnant with your child. So that's that's pretty much it. That doesn't mean you can't go out and play golf with the guys or have a cigar night to blow off some stress, but the fact is, she's pregnant. She's got a, 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 she's got a big old belly... And it's not because of pork chops. She's got a big old belly that's ready to fire out a kid, and that's why she's holding on to this thing. Because there's probably the baby kicking, or maybe she's feeling it, or it's a set. It's a ton of things that you're not feeling at the moment. And if that's the only thing, that, what is it? it I, you can't, you have to deal with this. I don't know if you're the asshole. You're not the. You're not an asshole for asking the question. You're an ass. You're kind of a dick for saying hey can you stop rubbing your belly even though there's a fucking kid in it just be happy that she's holding on to the kid and she's gonna she's gonna take care of it and stuff be happy like that that she's actually focused on it. because i also think too like there's a thing about if you rub the belly or if you play music or something like that or if you talk to it i think cognitively i think there is some benefit to actually doing one of the three or all the three things for the child i think there's been some scientific evidence or something uh, at a certain week or a certain month, if you are caressing the belly or talking to it or playing music or something like that, that there is some type of benefit to doing that to the kid. So if she's rubbing the baby, well, rubbing the baby, if she's rubbing her belly, I don't think it's because of last night's burrito. I think it's because of the fact that there's some benefit to it that she's doing it. Or maybe some benefit to herself because she's got some stretch marks going on and she's just kind of maybe self-conscious or just trying to make herself feel better or rubber. Whatever it is, she's entitled to do it. Whatever the reasons that I can't think of, I would just leave it alone. And I think they just do it maybe just they could be doing it subconsciously just because they're doing it and they're doing it. And I would just leave it alone. I would just leave it alone. Don't worry. She's not going to be rubbing her belly in another three months, okay? I guarantee you that. So just deal with it, okay? If it was you, you'd be doing the same thing. If it was me, I'd be, yeah, I'd be putting a tablecloth on there and a candle and fucking, yeah, absolutely. I'd be turning it into a ski slope for mice. Absolutely, I would be rubbing the shit out of that. All right, next topic. Am I infantilizing my wife by telling her she's too young to have a baby? My wife is 26, and she's ready to have a baby. Okay. So what's the problem? Well, let's find out. But I think she's too young, and we should wait. I know on paper the timing looks right. We both have good stable jobs and good health insurance, and financially a baby is doable. Well, if a fi- if you think a, fi- a baby is doable at this point, imagine the people there. Are so many people out there who are unprepared in a lot of ways to have a kid, and they manage to figure it out. And you're thinking, well, we're good. We got good health insurance. We got good, you know, good jobs. And financially, yes, yeah, probably good. Okay. So what's the problem? But I think it's the wrong decision for other reasons. I think my wife underestimates how much work and drudgery it's going to be and may someday look back and regret having kids so young and wish we'd waited a few more years. I'm 33 and couldn't imagine having kids when I was 26. It would have been awful since it would have been, meant the end of my leisure. Oh, boy. Uh, this is a a man bashing day apparently I say you have such a short time to be young and carefree you have forever to be tied down why rush it we have plenty of time to have kids we've only been married for two years so there's nothing wrong in my mind with her enjoying the next couple of years carefree and then having a baby once she's close to 30 and her friends have have started settling down and starting families and then she'll have the company and she'll have company and won't feel so isolated what are you there for uh, she thinks that I'm infantilizing her by assuming she understands the difficulties and how much of sacrificing it will require. But I don't see it that way. I just want her to enjoy this time, and we have, and when we're, when we have, when we're dinks, so that she doesn't have regrets later in life. I'm only trying to look out for her best interests. Am I wrong to believe that she's making the decisions without considering what she'd be giving up? I I don't know if you're infantilizing your wife. I think you're actually. I think what you're doing is you're pawning off your wants and needs onto her. Just tell her the truth. Just tell her the truth. You don't want to have a kid right now. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with you saying, look, I'm not ready for a child right now. Can we wait two years? You're closer to 30. You have a little more uh, set in, and she'll be prepared for it. And then you guys can focus on putting together a nursery and, you know, grabbing a couple other things and really being ready for that. And by the time she's 28, cool. And yes, over the age of 25, I think it's perfectly cool to have a kid because at that point, your brain is fully developed. You probably, hopefully, would have a little more financial stableness to you, stability to you. But, you know, then again, you do you. Uh, but the idea of. You saying that she's not ready is no, it's, it's actually wrong. Like, it's, it's that's incorrect. It's not that she's not ready, you're not ready, and you should say so. You should say so that you're actually not ready to have a kid. That's it. That's all you got to do to make this whole problem go away. Be like, you know what, honey? I've been pushing this off on you. It's actually not you, it's me. I'm not ready to have a kid yet. I want to wait two years. If you love me, you understand. I'm not ready to have a kid. We can wait two years, and after that, I will fully support you in whatever you do it doesn't matter when you have a kid if you feel like you're ready for it good uh wait two years everybody anybody can wait two years and if you're 28 years old you're absolutely viable to have a kid so why not just go that route and make it easier it's okay to say i don't know or i'm not ready or i'm not comfortable instead of saying to them honey you're not ready you're not mature enough to have a kid that's just a slap in the face to your partner it's a slap in your face to, to your partner completely. So just, I mean, I'm not here to bash on you, but just be honest. Say that you're not ready to have a kid. Can we please wait two years? I'm sure that's doable. First of all, it's going to take a couple. It's going to take a couple months to figure out that you're pregnant to begin with. It's going to take probably a few months to try, anyways. And then preparation. You can start looking at things. You can get them. Pre- You can get them primed. Help get them primed for we're going to do this and we're going to have a nursery. We're going to do all this stuff. We're going to buy all this stuff ahead of time. And then after a year of setting up the nursery and all this other bullshit and being like, okay, fine. Cool. Let's financially lock in for what we're going to do at the end of this year. And then towards the end of this year, around Christmas time, let's, let's go raw dog. And then at that point, cool. But don't pawn it off like they're not ready. It's you, dude. You're not ready. And that's okay. You're, you are may be 33, but, you know, 33, 30, that doesn't mean shit. 33 years old doesn't mean anything. So just be like, I'm not ready. I want to wait a couple years. And then you have my full support, You know, my full support, whatever. That's all you got to do. But by saying that, I mean, now I'm just repeating myself. You are, I don't know if you're infantilizing or, or whatever, but... No, you're just pawning off your concerns on her. That's not a good look, dude. Next topic. What we at? 47 minutes? That's fine. All right. How can my family go back to normal after my wife was in a Karen video? <laughs> oh, Jesus. My wife was in a very stressful situation about a month ago when she was at a park with in our hometown. After trying to balance a full-time job while caring for our three children for four months, she honestly just kind of lost it. She snapped. My wife is now subject of a Karen video that made the rounds last month in our town. Luckily, it didn't spread beyond that. She was and still is horrified by her behavior. Okay. She is seeking counseling for both the snap and the under The snap. What is this? Fucking Thanos? And the underlying thoughts and attitudes that came out in the video. In the meantime, how do we get back our normal life? Many folks around town are understanding- understandably freezing us out. And some of my kids' friends' parents are refusing play dates. This is only adding to the loneliness and isolation our family has, had already been feeling because of the pandemic. I hate to see my kids suffering because my wife's unconscionable actions. Short of moving to a new town, what can we do to rebuild the relationships that used to keep us grounded in this awful time? Well, you know what would be a good idea is, huh? I guess by writing about it, by talking about it, talking about the moment. I mean, you can't run away from your problems because from wherever you go, say you go to a new town, you move in, you present yourselves in a new, timely, fa- in a new way. Somebody looks you up and whatever checks out your Facebook and then connects the dots and sees that video and spreads it all over your new town. You got to move again. Doesn't work like that. Bad videos and bad pictures of you are like poltergeists; they go everywhere. You might as well talk about it, out it. Tell the truth. That's what I've done. All my craziness in life has has been articled, blogged out, and I don't go back and look at it. It's there. I've written it. I'm done with it. I don't talk about it because what the fuck's the point? I've already written about it and blasted anybody i wanted to blast, and then that's it. Now I'm good. But I talked about it in whatever way I was able to, whatever I was able to remember, but what you should do is if there's a video of of your wife being a Karen, then what you knew what you do is you take that video and you break it down. And then you talk about it. So you post and you post that video. I don't know what you want to call it. You can say, I don't know, you can say Karen speaks out. And then you can or you can be like, "All right, how to not be a Karen or if you feel a Karen moment coming or something like that." You can actually like present the situation like here's what i was going through here's what happened don't take blame don't place blame on anything else other than this is your life this is your situation this was going on that day and this is what was going through my mind the moment it happened and here's the fallout of it and then you just talk about it and then people will be like okay well instead of hiding they instead confronted the situation and spoke about it this might help you redeem some of your credibility within the neighborhood within the town within the people that won't talk to you or freeze you out because right now they just see you as a Karen uh, so this might be a good I- this might be a good idea and just post it put it up online and how you were and how you word it but whatever you do do not place blame on others on society on pol- politics or anything like that don't do that take responsibility for whatever Ever was going through your mind that day, and what led up to it, and the fallout afterwards. And if you do that, you'll win some back. Win, you should win some of your credibility back. Don't pretend, cry. Don't use big politically correct bullshit, corporate HR fucking words. Just be honest and come whatever, whatever comes to your mind. Get it out there, put it into context, and release it. I think that you would be better off for it. Let's go, let's see. All right. (sighs) Should I go out for coffee with my boss's son because my boss wants us to be friends? Over the summer, my manager suggested that I might get along with her son. Hmm. Which sounds possible. I've never met him. And gave me his phone number. I think she is proposing we be friends, not trying to set us up on a date. But I don't really want to be friends with my manager's son. Too awkward. I told her I'd think about contacting him, then I figured I'd never, then figured I'd never would. I did say I was worried about the potential dynamics. Now he's texted me. I'm really just not interested, but she's really gone to bat for me. There's maybe a promotion of sorts coming up that I'm interested in, in. work, My workplace is weird, incestuous environment. My workplace is a weird, incestuous environment. Think fourth, fifth generation families working there. And I am afraid of possible repercussions declining to hang out. I tried saying that I prefer to keep personal and professional lives separate, which he accepted. But another coworker is now involved and they're encouraging me to give it a chance. I'm thinking I'll just agree to a coffee to say I tried. Well, okay. This one's up to you. This one is actually up to you. If you decide that your career and you want to do a quid pro quo thing like, fine, I'll go have coffee with this schmuck. Maybe this will get me the extra dollar an hour that I'm looking for or whatever. If you value that and you need the money right now, or okay, that's fine. If your pride is of significant value to you and you straight up don't want to deal with this shit and you don't give a fuck about the promotion or you do, but you're willing to stick to your morals or your laurels or whatever over that, then do that. And I would support you either way in those decisions. But if you decide it's just not worth it, you're not interested and you just don't want to and you do want to separate work life from your personal life. Then you stick to your guns. Remember, there are protections out there for you if you decide you got snubbed because your boss, you know, was pissed that you didn't go on a coffee date with her son or whatever. Hmm. But yeah, if you decided to. Look, I get it. It's hard out there for a pimp. If you decided, look, I'll just go on the coffee date, have a chat with them, and try to ease my way out of this. And just to, you know, so you can get some. What do you call it? Some points, some cookie, so that you can get your promotion or whatever. Okay, I get it. All right, no big deal. And then you could always use that to get a, you know, get. You could always use that promotion to get a better job somewhere else for more money. You could do that. Uh, however, if you decide to stick to your guns and be like, no, I don't want to meet this person. Fuck that shit. Totally get it. I support you in that way too. Because look, man. Look, lady. Look, lady. Hurt pride or, you know, relinquishing your value system for uh, for whoring out to the corporate man. Yeah, I get it. So if you decided that it, it's your pride, it's just not worth losing that, uh, then I totally get it. And yeah, I would back you 100 percent that decision. Is that the end of Q&A for today? Let's see portrayed movies. And it was a mo- woman's monolithic response to stereotypical. Do I want to do this one? Come on, girl, back up, get a hold of yourself. St- nah, fuck that one. We're done, we're done. I don't give a shit about that one. Um, so yeah, that's been the that's been this uh par- podcast for today. I just kind of petered out. I don't know. It just wasn't that wasn't big. A, it wasn't a huge week for shit. Although I was curious about the uh, the the Yellowstone thing. I kind of that did lead into something. I did want to learn more about it. I just want to. Sometimes I just want to learn shit than doing random rants and stuff. I do want to learn stuff on this podcast every now and then. I love reading science stuff. I love science fiction. I like I like interesting topics, things that you know fascinate me and stuff. And uh, yeah, sometimes I like to share that with you guys. So if you if you find it interesting, you have questions or comments or concerns, or you want to know the links or the in, where I got the information, you can just email me directly, positive sarcasm at outlook.com. You can also contact me through my website too. You can just go to positive sarcasm, click on the contact button, and you can also uh, there's Posing music, movie reviews, questions, comments, concerns. There's all kinds of shit on that page, too. Check out my... Uh, also, uh, I did drop uh, my part two of the wedding vlog that I just did. It is officially out. Uh, you can go to my YouTube channel, Positive Sarcasm. Go and check that out. It's called Pony uh, Oceanside Part 2. Uh, for the most part, it was a hit with the audience members. So anybody who viewed it did love it. Uh, I did have to make some significant sacrifices uh content wise in order to make this video which pisses me off to no end but that's the part that's part of the game when you make wedding vlogs that's some of the things you have to uh deal with and you have to accept it so um in the martin that's well that's pretty much that's pretty much it that's all that's pretty much it but this will allow me other opportunities uh for making uh wedding vlogs like that because i do love making them i do enjoy the process of, of the timing and the effects, and the dream effect, and the dream effects, and the transitions, and just making something that people haven't seen before—a different idea of how wedding videos should be made, or any video should be made for that matter. So, I think my—I think my content has spoken for itself, especially recently. So, anyways, uh, we're done for the day. If you wanna subscribe to this podcast, you can simply—you uh, can go and hit it up at my website, positive sarcasm.com or you can uh, actually subscribe to my Positive Sarcasm podcast channel on YouTube. Uh, the video, uh, the video quality has just been upgraded as of recently. And you can also, if you're just in the old school podcast form for audio, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, Castbox, Podbay, iHeartRadio, anywhere where podcasts are available, you can stream it and download it for free. But if you want to support this podcast, and I wish a million of you did, simply go to positivesarcasm.com/slash/donate and give me a dollar. I'd love it. I would love it. But until then, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. Hopefully with more energy, I will talk to you all next week. Recorded here at the Spare Parts Studio, this has been a positive sarcasm presentation. go to positive sarcasm.com slash donate any amount is appreciated once again positive sarcasm.com slash donate